Welcome to Talking in Stations, the show about EVE Online. So today we're going to talk about some of the things that are going on in the war. I'm going to go back to Providence, see what's going on there, and then talk a lot about uh, Amar and uh, some other battles that are happening around. With me today, I'm Adderall, and with me today is uh, Artemis, who's engineering. Howdy, howdy. We have Baleful Dysmonia. Greetings and salutations. Elise Randolph. Hey, how's it going, everyone? We have Caleb Aranya. Hey, guys. And uh, joining us a little bit later will be Ron USMC uh, from his own channel, Ron USMC. Okay, welcome, everyone. Let's let's get right to it. There's a lot of stuff uh, that we wanted to cover. Um, We'll start with you, Baleful. You want to tell us about uh, Edencom and our Triglavians, what's going on there? Oh, well, right now there's an invasion in the system of Angrimon, which is possibly going to go liminal because Triglavians are winning that. The last round we had uh, uh, Asagur, which is the high set connection to Amamake that was invaded, and it went Edencom minor victory. So Triglavian supporters jumping in high sec from Amamake might get hit with the Edencom forces. And uh, the Kaldari system timed out in the war zone, which is pretty good because the Kaldari rats are a little weak. And then there was like another Amar system that was mostly uncontested and the Amar rats pushed it. Um, so this new Angry Mon Blue Star is probably the the biggest fight of this this cycle. But there was a new mechanic found in a system in Tashmer Khan in the Iro system, I-R-O, where it was a previous Edencom minor victory that was invaded by the Triglavians, which again, that has never happened. But the uh, since the Edencom had the minor victory before, there was just like all like the strongest Amar rats already entrenched um, in the system. So like Triglavians just got like deleted in like five hours. So that was interesting to see because we had never seen that before and we didn't know if it was possible. Yeah, is it um okay? going to ask, are there still a significant portion of players supporting the Triglavians, or is it just everybody's on Udenkon's side and the Triglavians are on their own? No, there's still a significant portion of players supporting the Triglavians. Like I said, right now, um, they're winning at Angimon, which is the uh, Kalende system that is being invaded right now. It kind of goes in cycles, because like one side will like mega push something and burn out, and the other side will mega push something and burn out. I think overall, the uh, Triglavians have a stronger EU time zone, where um, the Edencom has a good US late, US AU time zone, kind of. But it, it varies depending on who's like burned out at the moment. It's funny how that's like very, very similar to how like uh, null cycle wars go as well. Like some people have a certain time zone advantage, and then some people push too hard and then need to take a break. That's kind of like the game in general. It's all like I think in most conflicts in the game, uh, morale is the limiting factor, not isk, so much because getting people to show up is kind of key to winning any kind of engagement like in Osager where I like FC'd for 15 hours and burned out um, <laughs> like the first like seven hours the bar didn't move from 50% because like people were killing at the max speed we had like two roaming gangs and like a site gang and they had like roaming gangs and everybody was just, like both NPCs were just dying like almost immediately and the bar was just between like 45 and 55 without moving much at all until like Europeans started to go to bed and we just pushed it to a uh, minor victory. 
Right. Uh, there was, um, sorry, Bail, I, I threw you into the, the deep end really quickly because we were supposed to do some game news first, but I didn't have my show notes up, but we have them now. So let me just, uh, sorry about that. I'm going to go back and uh, before we get into the player news, which is what you were just talking about, we'll do a little bit of game news. Uh, and that is that uh, the MER came out uh, yesterday and we did a show on it. I think it was uh, Friday's show. Uh, we talked about um, all the indices were basically down a little bit. Uh, the big deal, did you guys see any big deals in that MER if you looked at it? Well, it's a, it's a standard war thing, right? When there's stuff like that happening, you basically see the numbers doing something similar to this. Uh, most of uh, the indices are, are down, as you mentioned, especially things like uh, mining and well, exports are not really getting out. So that's pretty much what it's saying. My computer are weird. I'm interested to see, like with the with the indices down, I'd be interested to see how it looks on a region-by-region region basis. I haven't taken a look yet, but I'm curious if you guys did in your stream, seeing how the industries compare from last month to this month, specifically in the regions which are active in war, and also in the regions which have lost their super capital umbrellas. I know on the, the Less Than 10 podcast, they were talking about how they're expecting their roaming content to kick up a little bit just because now there are suddenly a bunch of regions out in the drone lands and up north which do not have super capital umbrellas anymore. And so previously where it would be, oh, you eat a fleet into this region or you roll a wormhole and, well, you're just going to leave. Now there might be content there for you. I'm curious to see how that's going to impact the amount of uh, ISK generation or ore generation or what have you in those regions. Yeah, there should be a pretty interesting thing. But at the same time, there's also going to be fewer people there to, to even hunt as well, since so many will be deployed. But I have no doubt that people left alts back there and they're just kind of like quietly looking around and, and uh, earning ISK in some way or another. I mean, yeah, last night I, I was roaming around a few different regions in Null and it was just really, really quiet. I took a couple of crappy fights because there weren't any good fights. But then again, the week before, I, f I found like lone coveters, right? Then I killed a couple like lone horde coveters that just had nothing around them. So it's still kind of hit or miss because there are pros and cons to it being quieter in an area. Well, so. it's actually one of the things that uh, I was touched upon that it's up to the players to sit there and crunch the actual deltas instead of TCP presenting it to us in a way where you basically get that done for you or even just presenting it in side by side. So you have this month in the center and then the following month uh, before that, right? So you can actually browse and, and see that visually. It, the presentation uh, of the MER has always been a little bit of a beef of mine because I don't think CCP has actually done anything with it or tried to improve it over the period that we've had since uh, Quant left. Yeah, that's a CCP Quant that used to run that. Um, yeah, the interesting thing, again, will be the comparison of this month, which we're looking at June, which is actually last month, right? We get it this month, but it covers all of last month. And there wasn't much going on in June as far as war goes. And so that started in July, on July 4th or 5th, depending on what day you pick. So the next MER compared to this one will be interesting to see how things changed. And you'll just see the war effects on it. But there were other things on here to look at that I thought were interesting, and that is just how um, mining has really dropped down, especially in um, uh, in Imperium space, even before the war. Uh, also, you see like an amazing um, 
amazing amount of money being generated in OASA. Uh, so I think like if you com- combine pan, fam and fraternity, if you want to put all those groups together, uh, they are really outperforming as far as uh, generating money for the last two months before this war. The yeah. point of the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say they, they do have uh, probably a 36 month deficit to catch up on though, yeah, in terms of uh, Dell being the, the number one. They have a ways to go. But another thing that was interesting was a huge spike in, I believe it was destruction. And I think that was invasions coming in at the middle of the month or near the end of the month. And if you look at that, uh, the production, the mining, and the destruction page, you can see there's a huge spike, went up about $500 billion. Uh, That was probably all invasion uh, caused. So that was pretty interesting. I think the scary thing is that we're not really seeing any ramping up properly of, uh, of overall destruction numbers compared to the fact that uh, we were having ramping up of escalations with players. So the destruction numbers are way outperformed by PvE so compared to PvP. Yeah. And the last thing on this is Sinclair is going bonkers. Like we haven't seen that region. It used to be a prominent region. Uh, it kind of died down a while. The Dixie wasn't really, it was kind of like a third or fourth. But now it's a very strong third uh, behind Amar as far as stuff that they're selling, but also the destruction in the areas. Uh, we were looking at that, right, Bale, and trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, I see like Ramsar's as popular as ever. Um, and then that keep star that went up in Ignaten, and I see a lot of kills surrounding that. Like I saw like a jump raider died, a bunch of impels and orca. Um, so there might be stuff dying in Ignaten, um, which is the second system after answer anything in the region. Also the system of Kuro is a final liminality and it's like a connection to high sex. So people might be trying to go through that and getting blapped by the Steve with the uh, entropic disintegrator wear post that the Triglavians put up on, on the gates and the systems they control, which is uh, basically it's like a gate gun that interlocks you and shoots you if you're not friendly with Triglavians. That, uh, that gate gun, like the, not that specific one, but like all of the, those types of gate they guns, hit they've now nuts. hit, yeah, they've hit a trillion. The Triglavians had a party over it, yeah. So those things haven't been around that long, but they've killed the Chilean-esque right now, which is pretty significant. Like the amount of just like ridiculous kills that people, uh, like ships people lose because they're complacent and don't know the mechanics behind a gate gun is astounding. Mm. It's actually yeah. a 1.3 trillion-esque now. So it's like... It's not already even... at one point. I thought they just had like a few days ago they hit a trillion. Yeah, and now it's at 1.34 trillion. So it's killed 15,000 ships. That's a grinder. It definitely is. Yeah, the Eden conversion, the Gunstar, hasn't killed nearly as much because um, it doesn't aggress you until negative one standing. So the means will aggress you from anything... Uh, zero or below, whereas the Edencom won't aggress you until negative one. So it's killed a lot less for the Edencom gunster, which is basically a copy paste of the wear post. Wild. So we were joking because there's this new keep star that fell into, it didn't fall, it got planted, anchored, and online in Ignoiton, which is a big, mm, it's a big logistics hub for the north. Um, that is part of the uh, Tranquility Trade Tower. Uh, so that's something that Billy put down and we were kind of joking that we should put another keep star and this is Bale and I joking about this, not Billy and I putting a keep star on the other side of Rancer because Rancer is like, 
gone up in yeah. kill volume because of that. So, for people from one to the other and just uh, skip renser. It's like the skip renser service, delete renser. Delete renser, yes. We want to delete renser, uh, which is renser is a, is a system in EVE Online that's notorious for kill, uh, pirates killing uh, haulers. So anyway, just a joke. Okay, let's uh, bring in Ron, who we have here with us. How you doing, Ron? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Always good to hear you. I, ju- I jumped into your show yesterday, asked you some questions and had a bail real quick, but I liked what you were doing yesterday. It was beautiful, scenic, great music. And uh, you're right there on top of the combat, which is something you've been doing a lot of. Yeah, the 64-bit client, man, all those memory chains, like it's just, uh, it's exactly like what we were looking at, what was it, like a year ago? What Just everything on full graphics, just being able to smoothly go in between, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it's hard to believe that was a year ago. Um, okay, so what's our next topic here? I think we're going to do a little more on Triglavian stuff, right, Bill? Um, I can certainly talk about it more. Um, is everybody oh, familiar with the mechanics and such? Or? Oh, you know what? It wasn't Triglavian. I'm sorry. It was that you were in a fight. Oh, uh, the board is there? Yeah, Ashrakhan. Set up that uh, whole scenario for us. What happened right, there? So Ashrakhan had a faction for Desire in Bossburger, and they've had it for a while now. Um, and there's been a number of big fights over it, but there was uh, another more recent one um, where Snuff had attacked it, and it was the whole time where... Um, Yesterday, or yesterday was Saturday, I think. Friday, Friday. And this for this fight, um, the Fortizar was finally destroyed. The uh, faction for I was actually, and people might uh, find this shocking, but I was defending it because I like being on what? the opposite side of snuff, right? <laughs> but you're notoriously a Marian. Yeah, there's... There's complications with RCA right now as far as the RP angle goes. But I'm also like Snuff is one of the like the really, really, really big groups of Losec that kind of comes in and steamrolls everybody. So I like the idea of Losec uh, uniting against Snuff. But I was defending it. I was in a damnation for most of the fight. Um, uh, but basically what happened is Snuff came in and CVA came in actually on the same side. And RC came in with Usher Khan and the Minmatar militia and the various other people defending it. And uh, there was a big brawl between like, uh, there was a lot of third parties too. There was like hard knocks and such that seemed to be on kill mills, both on both sides, more or less, I think. But uh, there was a big brawl between uh, like UK and, and wrecking crew and, uh, and the snuff and various other forces like right on like the undock of the of the Fort Desire. And CVA kind of kept the timer paused the entire way. If you look at the kill mail, like all the top damage is CVA. And like my gut feeling, and I might be wrong, is that without CVA, maybe that Fort Desire repairs. Oh. Which is kind of that's the way to go out. They killed like one of their heat like ancient enemies, uh faction forts. So if, if they're gonna go out, they went out with a bang. Yeah, I joked that it was like the, the not quite dead yet CVA shows up on a Fortizar kill yeah, <laughs> of, their, of their like, ancient enemy. I mean, if that's the last thing CVA does, they went out in true CVA style. Do we know but the... I've, I've heard a lot of rumors about like where they're going and what they're doing. And I, I heard something like Severance from Probably Block is going to Legacy, I think. 
And I've heard like so many different rumors about CVA Corps breaking up going different ways or CVA yeah. going one way or another. I expect them to have a suck for a bit. I think there are different rumors because it's a fluid situation and they're changing their minds and they're, they're airing out into public what they're kind of kicking around. Uh, is my guess. Cause I heard CVA was merging in the Alliance. All the corps were merging into one CVA corporation and moving to legacy. That was early on. Uh, that doesn't seem to be true anymore. I mean, I don't know. So if- I, uh, I think severance. So probably block like the group are like splitting up and definitely going their separate ways. But I think Severance is the group that's going to, or was floating around the idea of joining Legacy. I think CVA wanted to, as uh, Bill Full is mentioning, move to Lozak and kind of be not necessarily bros with stuff, but keep them on their good side, I guess. And then yeah, um, some other groups. Heard too. Um, Severance, Legacy, CVA, friendly with stuff, which is which is like mind blowing to me because like in that fight, I shot a, a CVA Cerberus. So I was like, just thinking, am I going to finally get put on the KOS list like 20 seconds before Providence Falls? Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's a kill on site list that yeah. uh, presides in Providence. If you're an enemy of the holders, you put, get put on that list and killed on site. Do we know the dramatic? I would love that story arc for you. That would be. Yeah. With the uh, Edencom stuff, RC has made a, a lot of friends that she wouldn't have had otherwise before when she was more into the, like the more malicious stuff. But that that's a whole convoluted storyline that would take me like, I could do like a whole episode on like RCA's backstory. So neither here nor there. <laughs> we'll do that. Uh, what were you going to say? So the, all of the faction Fortizars, they come from Nalsec outposts, some of them being particularly storied, other ones not so much. Do we happen to know the origin of the faction Fortizar that died? Was it one of the special ones? Like I know... The one in 9UI that was given back to Ushra Khan just before it flipped so that they could have their, their name on the thing? Do we know if this is something akin to that or if it was just a random Mimitar thing they bought? I don't know off the top of my head, but I could ask them. In Bosberger? Bosberger? Bosberger, yeah. Bosberger, yeah. I don't... Well, it wasn't in Providence. This is low sex, so... I yeah, it was, the zone. it was um, in a high-sec border system. So it's 0.4 a system right next to Demlin. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go on to the war, which we're going to talk to Braun about and have help him have us, uh, give us a tour on what's happened so far. We wanted to stop by Providence and talk about them a bit more just to kind of follow up on what had been happening there. Anyone have any of the latest information? I think we just talked about where to the place some of the groups are going that belong to Provi Block. So when we were chatting, um, yesterday, uh, not sorry, last week, uh, it was very much probably block is, is there's nothing wrong. Uh, we're going to like regroup and rebuild and everything's going to be fine. And then after our show by about two hours, yeah. they essentially announced that, uh, you know, that, that, that's not true. <laughs> Everyone's kind of breaking up, going their separate ways uh, and stuff like that. And so it, it does seem like everyone has their, their own mind uh, of what they want to do. We talked, I think uh, Severance is already showing up in uh, Legacy space. So like their intentions of uh, hanging out with Legacy and the, the relationships they built with Tests over the time uh, are going to continue going. Uh, that is definitely a very good path forward for them for after this war to get Providence back, right? Uh, because... 
or like legacy is living right on the border there. So they can just easily go in from catch and just go, Whoop, here's Providence, enjoy severance. And now severance is holding chunks of Providence and is blue to all these people. So that's a good path for them. CBA appears to just be chilling in, in low sec to rebuild. Um, I'm not sure what they want to rebuild into. I, I'm not sure they know what they want to rebuild into. Um, as we were chatting with them last week, I, I kind of mentioned that one of their historical problems has been that they have like a lot of really good talent that flows through the doors, but they let that talent go out, right? They don't really hold on to that talent. That's not necessarily a fault of CBA or their leadership, but the structure that they have and that has always worked for them really does let those big names and those like storied FCs leave. So maybe they're going to have some sort of systemic change. So that doesn't continue happening. I, I certainly hope so for them. But the, the low sec around Providence, uh, like Misaba and stuff like that, that's, that's an easy hold for them. No one else really lives there. Uh, so they've, they've got deep roots in that entire area. I wouldn't be surprised to see them around the war zone too. Yeah, but that's a, another good way to get back to their roots, right? To join the Amar Factional Warfare and kind of become a, a big heavy hitter there. You can start sucking up people. I haven't joined it before, but they also had, they used to have trouble staying in the militia because of standings and such. But um, if they're basically leaving Providence, maybe that becomes more viable. And it does give them like uh, opportunities to recruit people that are in smaller groups, right? So they can rebuild from there. They can use that as uh, definitely like a building ground for that. Well, some of the founders of Right Pi joined Faction Warfare a long time ago. Is there any love loss between Sp- Spoon and, and Pi, these groups from Providence? Um, well, they were blue. Like, they're still blue. They've, I was in Pi for six and a half years or so before. They were blue, and they occasionally work together, and there's some communications. Like, there's no am- animosity. Um, they just kind of went their separate ways because they had different goals and plans. Um, Pi stuck really hard to the the strict role playing with only Amar ships, and Pi Inc. only allows the Amar bloodlines, uh, Amar Nikuti and Khanid to join. They did have like a, an auxiliary corp in the Pi Alliance that let the non-Amar bloodlines run for a little bit, but that was um, um, and CBA, CBA couldn't hold on to that and hold on to null space because you have to be, I don't, I, I don't want to say more competitive, but more competitive. You have to use like a very doctrines. You can't just use the marships. You'll get countered. Yeah. <laughs> so if the can, enemy knows you're always going to be flying on marships. That's super yeah. easy to counter. Yeah. You it's just more viable in the war zone where things aren't like, you don't like, Everybody third parties everything in the war zone. You're like the, a fight in the war zone. There's like a gift that Odysseus Alucard made, where it's just like Citadel owner looking shocked, and then like a like a bunch of people with labels of alliances and corps dancing, and it's like that's pretty much what every fight in the war zone is like timer fight. Right. Uh, so that's interesting. The newest thing that's happened in Providence, I think this happened just before the show started, is the leader of Providence, actually leader of CBA, lost his Leviathan. Uh, it got uh, killed, it looks like. Anybody see that coming through? Uh, I'm not surprised, right? So that's that's kind of like what Wrecking Crew's bread and butter was before this whole thing kicked off. His hunting cap. So I'm sure that they had been planning this one for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, Rocket X uh, popped into uh, TIS Discord and wrote in our battle reports section, 
um, he, he sacrificed his Titan. I don't know if he was being ironic or if this was some kind of a, uh, did he just, did he decide to just like, you know, suicide it out against people or did he get caught trying to move it? Or I, I don't know the particulars. I have a feeling he wouldn't willingly just give it away to wrecking crew. Right. I don't think there's anything written in, in any like agreement that they had where it was like, we have to kill your Titan for this to be real. Uh, I mean, so I, I imagine maybe he's stepping away. I don't know. My biggest question is why is he not in an avatar? Hmm. CBA uses a lot of Calvary ships. Like they're in uh, Cerberus's for the uh, uh, Fortisar fight. They, they use a lot of jackdaws. Uh, Remember, CBA is the one that eats a balanced meal. They use all the ships. Yeah. They use all the advantages of all the doctrines so they can see, be competitive. Like their main battleship doctrine that I always used to see was in the Mariners, I think. I follow you there, but I feel like the, the, the eccentric leader of a role play heavy group would at least live the role play enough to not be a levy pilot. Maybe that was the problem all along. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, well. That was Equi- Equius, I think is the name. Equinox, that, that Equinox. Yeah. Thank you. That's just part of my tradition of mispronouncing people's names. It's a good tradition. Time honored. I probably time honored, yeah. Okay. All right. So that's, that's Providence. Anybody else got anything on Providence? Uh, one, one more question for you guys. I think it's on the minds of a lot of people. NRDS, is that lifestyle done? or No, I mean, like even it might be done in null for the time being, even though I heard, I hear like murmurings of it not being, but um, there's always going to be groups. There's like low sec groups. There's RP groups that are NRDS. I think there's always going to be some NRDS uh, hanging around with or without problems. But um, once again, like, and I'm sorry to cut you off there, but um, I remember when I was first going into Null and I, I was like really scared as like a newer player. And I heard like, I heard, oh, Providence is NRDS. Maybe I'll try there first. And that kind of got me to go out of my shell and go like three jumps into Providence and die to a bubble camp. But, <laughs> but it wasn't as bad as I like expected it to be, right? Like, cause like it's the big scary boogeyman until it happens and it's just like oh i just lost the harbinger who cares right and uh i think stuff like that was good for getting players out of their shells and like out of high sec and out of like into null for the first time and i think if there's not something like that it's a loss for the game i 1000 percent agree with that yeah psychologically <laughs> it's it's like the low end of the pool where you can stick your foot in and start to walk in it and even I mean, if- it's, one the, it's one of the oldest dreams in eve right but it's not going to happen until we get some sort of support from CCP, right? Because it is a proof that the NRDS and the free porting and all that doesn't work. It's a proof that the system is fundamentally broken. There is no good balance and incentive for having that openness and neutrality that NRDS basically represent. This is like the oldest thing that people try to do in EVE. But because of some of the features that are currently in EVE, it will not be viable until CCP fixes that. To be fair, I don't, uh, I was going to say, I don't think it's, I don't think Providence or probably Block fell because of NRDS. I think they had other uh, like systemic reasons why they they couldn't succeed, why they they weren't succeeding in their current format or in their current form. But I don't think it was NRDS, right? I, I think NRDS played like 
such a small role into it. It just lets people drop every once in a while and then have to make a new character. I, yeah, I think, think to, that it had um, a bigger role than is being, uh, like it quietly had a bigger role than people expect because during the blackout, um, a lot of null suffered, but um, Providence was ripped to pieces, like like beyond most other regions and, and RDS was part of the, like they couldn't like chat with their, their locals. They couldn't like build the connections that they like building with the people who are just trying to like, Oh, I want to pal around in Providence. And like, they lost a lot of people. They lost a lot of power assets. And uh, I think that contributed to like their eventual, like, I don't want to say fail skate, but kind of like sharp. Yeah. They're fine. I think, if they didn't lose as much in the blackout time as they did because trying to stick to the NRDS hurt them during the blackout, they might have been able to hold on for a bit longer. They should have declared martial law and just said, everybody stops. Uh, Artemis, I, I, we kept cutting you off. What were you going to say? I was going to make the same point that, uh, that Elise <laughs> made. And I was also going to bring up like, I think Phoebe Freeport Republic is another example that we can look to who tried the, the NRDS like Freeport thing. And if I remember correctly, they also fell due to internal drama, not due to like the Freeport mechanics not working. And that was free Citadel that was working with old outpost mechanics and all sorts of nonsense like that. But it's, it's, it's about the fact that, that Freeporting should be the preferred option um, economically. And in EVE, it's upside down. It, it does not benefit to try and do neutrality and having open stuff because of all the options to abuse it, right? But this is this is a flaw on uh, on how the whole economic and ecosystem in EVE is, is balanced. It, it is a lot better to only allow your own because everything is self-sufficiency based and centralizing. It, it, it's just a tragedy that it... it won't work. The, the best economic option should always be free porting because that should make you more money. Yeah. So you sacrifice that when you close your, your stations because of security issues. But the security issue is just too big. In you. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That it, it should be preferable to let the public in to do trade. Uh, but because security is so bad and the, the downsides of having people in your space is so high, that people want to close off space only to their own tribes and it makes it very insular. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in the long run, but it sure feels less space epic. Well, the point is that, that if, you, if you consider why people keep trying this, I, I suspect that it's got a lot to do with why the initial first Freeport project started because people on paper crunched numbers and actually said, okay, this is going to make us more money. Because free markets and, and open access and, and rental and all these things should make you more money. It's just that because of the security issues, because of the abuse, because of these fundamental, um, well, it's not, well, it is flaws to, to, to the Eve game, but it's not intentional flaws, right? It's, it's things like being able to disband the whole, uh, shooting blues, all of these issues where how do you police things? How do you defend your, uh, your space and how do you, uh, uphold some sort of uh, law and order in a neutral system. It's just too high maintenance and too difficult. The closest you get to anything like this is when you get the big groups that almost let everyone in, and then they have their own internal police and umbrellas and all of this stuff, right? And commissaring and shooting people in the face if they don't behave. 
the next step should have been free porting, right? It's just, it's too difficult. I mean, Legacy did uh, free port the Tranquility Trade Towers, right? So they make a mint out yeah. of the, uh, the keep starting the perimeter. Right, that's on, on the console to defend this, right? So that's why it's possible, but it proves that the the thing that people intuitively believe is actually the correct option. It just needs a few tweaks and fixes from CCP to make it a viable option. Because I think that it should be a thing that historically and in, in, in realistic terms, neutrality and free trade and the Phoenicians and, uh, and, and the Minoans and all that stuff. When you do it like that, you become filthy rich. Of course, you then put yourself out there as a big risk to be invaded and killed, but that would actually create content. The point is we should really get to a point where that becomes a viable option. Pale, were you going to say something? No. Okay. There is, uh, isn't great, great wildlands, aren't they? Uh, mm -hmm. They are, right? Well, there, there was a project, um, the network, which is my current alliance, started up a thing out in NTAC 6 with just a Freeport Asbel and Fortisar and stuff for a market. And it actually got a pretty decent small mining community built up around it because we also made the moons public. You could, depending on the situation, mine on the moons and then go and do all that stuff. But we have since passed that over to people more industry-focused and gone back to our mercenary ways. I don't exactly know the current status of it, unfortunately. I was like, there's something there. No, there's, it just reminded me, there's something similar in Venal 6NJ, uh, Freeport, Fortisar, and some writers and such in 6NJ. It's actually developed a pretty uh, flourishing small market because of some Gerstus role player and uh, who got in with a local alliance, the band, uh, Brotherhood of Spacers. Right, not Brand of Brothers, brother, Brotherhood of Spacers who live in that area. And they have uh, a Fortisar called, I think, Rabbit's Warren, which is it's a reference to Rabbit from the Garistas organization mm -hmm. because it's venal Garistas. And um, they're, they've built like a small market out there and it's been growing pretty decently. Like I lost a ship somewhere in venal and I flew there and I was able to like buy a new ship and fit it, right? Which is kind of, that's, that's, it's making it. <laughs> we uh, we had him on the show actually a few months ago. We did a, a, a show on different free ports uh, and um, citadels that are scattered across New Eden. And it was so funny to see the difference between the guy that we had that was doing the the one in um, Stackmon, and he had like five other like free markets. I think that's uh, on trade. Yeah, through through all of uh, uh, Highsec. And then we had the uh, we were chatting with the, the guy who put up the one in Vino. He was like, "I don't know if it's making a profit or not, and I don't care. That's not why I have it there. I just have it just because I, I want a market in Vino to, to yeah. help people out." He's doing really cool things with it. Like he'll have like flash buy order. I need this, and he'll like make buy orders for like some weird specific item that's hot way higher than normal price to get people to run out there and sell it to him. Like for instance, Vitok, he had like a storyline where like he said, Oh, some Amar tried to grab some of my guys and, and pumped them full of Vitok, which is a drug that Amar used to, uh, to, uh, control slaves. And so, um, they needed the, the, uh, Vitok to treat the, uh, infected, uh, crewmen and such. So there was like a flash order for Vitok. So you can you flew out there and you sold it at like a 
greatly inflated rate just for, for bringing it out there. It gets people to the area. It gets people into the market. It's kind of cool. It's just since you mentioned New Eden trade, it's just, it just proves my point. The problem is that CCP has two fundamental flaws in, in the game right now that dis disincentivizes the actual uh, behavior that we, we want. We have infinite slots in production, which is a massive problem, and that you can do it safely in NPC stations, which means that you basically have no incentive for player-owned structures to become the industrial hubs. And the second is, like New Eden is basically proof of, that if you limit the number of market orders and contracts on the character sheet, you have to scale infinitely alts, right, and sit there and manage them, and no one wants to do that, which is why it's still such a massive niche to actually start something like hub creation because you just have that thing that you have to get over and actually tolerate. And personally, even though I'm a massive market nerd, I don't want to juggle 10, 15, 20 uh, accounts to be able to actually service the market stuff it just, it, I won't. I, I prefer to play on one or two characters, and I will not sit there and juggle alts. I'd rather actually pay to get those uh, accounts, uh, market orders and contracts added to my main account. I would pay for that. But if, if this is just a money grab from, from CCP that you have this upside-down limitation, then it's just tragedy. So those that are curious about what's behind Elise, this fireworks uh, in the shape of a pod, right, Elise? Something like that? Yeah, I, I went to a Resorian's like Flickr page, and uh, I just steal a new one every week because he's <laughs> he's super amazing. Uh, and then, what's behind you there, Artemis? People were asking. Uh, Keepstar and some stuff. Ships, spaceships. That works. Stuff works. Have a yeah, we have beds, beds with laundry, uh, dishes over there, and for me, a green screen that I can't seem to remove. <laughs> so you guys look awesome in comparison. We'll get that worked out. Okay. Uh, those are our backgrounds. Okay. This is a discussion that we should definitely spend some time with, but not today because we want to get to a big events that are happening in the war. That's why we have Ron here. How's it going, Ron? Going good, man. Going good. It's good to hear you again. Uh, like I said before, I'm, I'm really liking what you're doing. Uh, how often do you stream? Um, like every day, every day. And for how long? Mm, anywhere from like 10 to 14, 15 hours, right around in there. Damn, do you ever what? Like run out of things to say? <laughs> you run out of things to talk about? Mm, no, not really. There's always, there's always something going on and it's not the same people in the channel, right? So you might have 300 viewers, right? But you'll have 75 of them coming in and out or something. And so it's always someone new. Um, there's so many new people to the game that are popping in, mm -hmm. you know, like every 15 minutes, you know, what is this game? What is going on? And uh, so there's always something kind of interesting to talk about and sketch out and all that kind of stuff. Well, I see in chat here, there's, there's a little icon of a, uh, what is that? Prairie dog? <laughs> it's a meerkat. That is a disgusting varmint. With soulless eyes that eat souls, <laughs> called the meerkat, which happens to reside in uh, wormholes. Okay, so they're following you around. It looks like. <laughs> yep, they're the spawn of the devil. I see. So this is your nemesis that is following you around in your 
Yeah, this is a couple of months ago. I, I wanted to, cause you know, people, and here's, what's funny. Um, because this all came from TIS when we had my very first show, when we had the wormholers on. And I'm just like, this is so weird that you guys live like this and so strange. It's just like, how do you do this? So ever since then, you know, they've always, hey, by the way, hey, Ron, I'm a wormholer, by the way. And, uh, you know, and they just kind of harassed me. So I wanted to come up with like a term or a name for them that was like, you know, family friendly or something that didn't sound bad. So a meerkat, right? Uh, you know, when I was in Africa, I played around with them and, and they just pop out of their hole and they're looking around, you know, thinking just constantly descanning and then they go back into their hole. <laughs> so that's where the meerkat came from. And so now, uh, every time I see someone in a wormhole or by it, it's like, that's a meerkat and we got to uh, get rid of the varmint. Well, I'm calling them whole rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome. I think you've, uh, you've definitely matured uh in your style i think because now you have blue donuts and meerkats following you around so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. full-blown streamer uh, yeah for those that don't know ron and artemis were uh with silver were the midweek show that we would have to cover areas of the show that we weren't covering well because the sunday show would usually only have one day to talk about the whole week and normally that was the bigger themes that we were talking about but we had we were missing so much and this was prior to the matter all daily shows when we just talk about it in the morning. Yeah. We just talk about everything uh, all the time. Uh, yeah. I anyway. like those daily shows. Those are great. Thanks man. Uh, but you do a daily show for many hours. You actually sketch on screen, uh, ex- drawing over the maps and drawing over what you're seeing in the game and explaining to people over and over again and refreshing their knowledge on what's actually happening in this war, which is very good. Can you tell us what's happening? Can you get us up to speed on the last, what is it now, three weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think what's kind of interesting is, you know, the the, the Imperium's territory is kind of shaped like the state of California, kind of, right? And if you think like the wind condition for the war, right, is their removal from that area. They're uh, sort of in the north of California, right? <laughs> that, that little part, that foothold, um, you know, has been taken by PanFam, and they're sort of going through the north of California. Um, and it's not a lot of land, but it is interesting that they have that sort of foothold in fountain, which is right next to a very long gate. And that goes straight down to KVN. So they're, they've pretty much overrun IGE, which is their, which was in its Northern staging. And there's battles all around there all day long. And in it has taken a more defensive position or a more offensive position because defending is really tough against uh, more, you know, more people than you'll ever bring. So they pulled back to, you know, like YTAC 2, KVN area, and they're able to just kind of jump out and strike wherever they want and, you know, have a little bit more fun with it than, and kind of take out some of the uh, drudgery, right, of defending Sav. 
So they're kind of having fun with it. They're trying some new comps. You know, I saw the Ishtars and they, they have all, all, all these really interesting kind of ships. It's so fun to, to see, you know, five or six different kind of mainline doctrine ships out there. And that sort of is like the Northern front. The Southern front is interesting because down there it's Goon Swarm and they outnumber Legacy one-on-one. But now up North and it is way outnumbered by PanFam, but down South Goon Swarm outnumbers Legacy and Goonswarm has a great position. It's very defendable because they have those really long regional gates and they can use caps um, to support the defense of those gates. And they have gate camps up, you know, most days I'm sitting here looking at two gates and there's two gate camps up right now. And it's been a lot of pushing by legacy on those gates for iHubs, but really it's to force the Imperium to send more troops to the south and leave the north a little bit more vacant, right? And when they do that, there's usually like the kind of one-two, right? So they'll hit in the south. It'll be a big, glorious battle, uh, but nothing will really be achieved except the Imperium will defend their territory, but then up north, they're going to make a lot of gains. They'll take three or four I-hubs or they'll reinforce some things and kind of move forward like that. And it's been that sort of seesawing uh, a lot in the past three weeks. Uh, The interesting thing that's happened over the last 24 hours is, you know, I was kind of calling it the uh, Quirious on the Barbie because it was AU time zone, but um, while, you know, most of the U.S. time zone was sleeping, some very vigilant U.S. time zone guys and uh, from PanFam, and I think that was led by Blazing Bunny and then ProGod leaving, or leading it for Legacy did a joint operation. And over the past few days, they've reinforced most of Quirius's iHubs. And then last night, up until about, you know, eight this morning, they did seven and eight hour fleets to reinforce or to replace. They destroyed 26 iHubs and then replaced them. And it is a majority of Quirius. <laughs> so that was just last night. And it was a, it's another nice foothold. I mean, that's a, that's like a region erasure, isn't it? What's an iHub, uh, maybe at least, what's an iHub do for, why is that important? So the iHub is is essentially just really important for the infrastructure. Oh, obviously, it's called an infrastructure hub, but uh, it's for stuff like jump bridges and and things like that. Uh, it's it's really easy to to move around all of the Imperium space right now. They can get from one front to another. Uh, initiative can go from Y two in Fountain to essentially the G Magic Gate in like five gates uh, using this infrastructure. So going into Quirius and just wrecking those things down a little bit. It's a very early first step. It's a very good first step because that means the uh, future fights over keep stars or citadels, uh, you can't have a Sino jammer in place. You can't have a jump bridge to make things go a little bit faster. The territory and the geography becomes much more important uh, when those things are down. Well, they're kind of just thinking about it. When you explained it, it seems like it's almost like a permission, a permit to build infrastructure. 
Uh, exactly. Pretty much that's exactly the, the role it plays. So the, the TCU, if you look on the on Dotland, you'll you'll see basically no one really bothers taking TCUs because they're pretty much worthless. They don't do anything. The the money is all in the iHub itself. Uh, and as far as what you can plant in the space. Right. And Ron, uh, to your point here about Aquarius and how many of those iHubs were taken over and how it sounds like a huge amount, uh, Billy writes, it's important to remember that it's unlikely for us legacy to hold those iHubs, but all those jumps, jump bridges and jammers are now gone and it will flip back to the Imperium representing a lot of work for them. So if nothing else, they may not keep this but it's going to represent a lot of work to rebuild it uh, if they want it back the Imperium, for the Imperium. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when the iHub dies, it also resets the ADMs down to like their minimum value, which means that it's very, very easy to flip back. Like recapturing is significantly easier to do once the system is quote-unquote broken just because of that ADM reset. Well, it, it doesn't set back the ADM completely, I don't believe. But what it does do is it starts that timer. So certain upgrades, what Elise was talking about, right? Certain upgrades require 30 days for that iHub to be down before you can install that upgrade and then add additional things like the jammer or the jump bridges and like that. Yeah, I think we talked about jammers uh, and how important it is. I think it was it, Ron, you were explaining it yesterday that once you take over an iHub and put up, once you take over a system, put up your own infrastructure hub, basically get your own permission to build. How long does it take for you to be able to put a Sino jammer so people can't jump in on you? Yeah, so that's kind of one of our hero stories uh, from the fraternity from our winter war last summer. We had a new bro that I had explained how to Intosis and he got lost and went to the wrong iHub and just started intosing and reinforced it. And it was way in, um, you know, it was QLPX, right? And it was way into their territory, but he didn't know any different, right? So he just reinforced it. And then, you know, um, Billy saw that and was like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going for this one. So we went all in. But the important thing is that on day 30 of that, uh, when we took that iHub, finally, we could put down a jammer. And then after the jammer, the next day was the Keepstar, right? So it's like they, they kind of go hand in hand, right, of so, being able to put up defenses. So that lost little pilot went and drilled a hole in Winter's Empire that you guys were able to squeeze through yeah, but he didn't realize he was drilling the hole because so, I mean, the, it was a funny because me, Vili, Sado, there was like five or six of us that were actually just down there fighting, kind of like doing some small gang because they were like sending a response fleet or whatever. And we were just down there fighting and having fun. And I told everyone in the Intosis channel, I'm like, all right, guys, get safe, get safe. But he wasn't in the Intosis channel. He didn't know that that existed. <laughs> I just told him how to do it. And sent him on his way. He got lost or something and went all the way up to QLPX and reinforced it. And it was absolutely hilarious because he's like, hey, guys, I just reinforced this. Wait, what? Wait, I said, give me the system again. I like to think that this whole Aquarius thing happened because someone linked the wrong IGE. So I'm like, yeah, let's go near IGE. <laughs> Because there, there are two IGEs. There's one in Quirius, and there's one which was the former staging of uh, 
the initiative in Fountain. Okay, I, I was a bit confused about that because I thought after after the uh, sorry the initiative did their state of the alliance. They do a speech to their own guys to say, "Here's the status of where we're at," and that sort of was a little bit confusing to me. I didn't really understand what was going on. I think different people got different interpretations out of it, actually. Because Killer B was like, yes, they're going to stand and fight. And then other people were like, no, no, they're leaving. And so I think people took away what they wanted to. Um, but I was a little bit confused on what they were actually going to do. Now we're seeing a week later some of the, some of the strategy that they're employing and what the reaction strategy is from the northern forces that are invading. But yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of important. It, it plays in the initiative strength, right? Okay. So Fountain kind of spiraled a little bit out of control early on. It was very much um, you guys, meaning Panda Fam, uh, are not even going to be able to get into D4K, uh, and that was there was a stalemate for a week. No one was able to do anything as um, you know all those groups were still moving the hop ib initiative would drop. Like anytime there was an intosis thing going on, they'd camp that D4K gate with like 1200 people and just this huge show of force and uh panda fam couldn't even break through into fountain to do anything about it uh so now it, it's changed quite a bit right they, there was this one big fight in ltac a uh the initiative lost a few carriers i think like 20 or 30 but it kind of had them reevaluate what they wanted to do in this space instead of going with uh, we must defend every system with everything we have it's more of a bend, don't break mentality for, for anyone that's into to sports. You want to, you'll, you'll see stuff that you don't necessarily care about to the point where, like right up to the point where it's going to break you. And then at that point, you're going to stop it. So right now, the, the initiative has moved from IGE over to Y-2. And they said they've outlined the systems and the areas of the map that they want to keep. Like, okay, we're going to make it really hard for these people to take all of this stuff. Um, and we're going to find targets of opportunity. We're going to go in there and disrupt it. And they've had some pretty early success with it. Uh, they killed some Tengu fleets bef- uh, from the Panda Fam side. Um, you know, when you go with the mentality of not every system is urgent, uh, and it really frees you up to do it to do like I don't want to uh, I don't want to say like fun stuff, but to take fights that really benefit you. So they want to get that momentum uh, going again. And the other good part of it is now there's like, by moving to Y-2, you're essentially saying, uh, you know, I don't care what happens to these areas, the cloud rank or outer ring or to the north of Fountain Core. Like, who, who gives a crap about that? We want to hold on to these constellations and like Unicorn and Chimera and uh, Aslis and Sphinx. We want those because those are near us. Those are names of constellations. Exactly. Yeah. So if you just look at the map of Fountain, they've got really fun I constellations. I think it kind of goes back to like... Um morale being the limiting factor of like any kind of big engagement. Like if you go hard on must defend everything, people are going to burn out really, really fast. And I think besides involved, like we were talking about the economic report and how like how much was made in like and such before for so long. Um, everybody involved has a lot of risk. That's not going to be what runs out. It's going to be morale that runs out on one side or another. And I think initiative is being smart about that as they pull back. And from where they are in White Ash too, as I was mentioning before, they take one uh, one gate into ZXP and they're in Delve, instantly in Delve. And then there's that entire iHub network and JB network 
where they can go to any front of the war that they want, like pretty much instantly. And it's reciprocal too. Like when there's a big timer, goons can come in uh, through there and they can just defend the areas that they want. Uh, so it's really, really easy to be in that defensive position. I was uh, reading the Eve subreddit this, this week, which pretty much became the, the brisk ball zone, I guess. <laughs> like everyone's just focusing in on everything brisk says and just, I'm sure he loves it, uh, but he's pretty much been like the, the big target for the the legacy and Panda fan people this week. I got, and he I got, got a lot of flack. Sorry, finish. Go ahead. He got a lot of flack for saying fountains is a shit region. I think he said fountains a shithole or something. Everyone's like, no, it's the best region in the game. It's and, and obviously, he could say the sky's blue, and they'll be like, no, it's not. It's it's actually not blue. Uh, it's it's just the way the light refracts. Blah blah. It's but so um, yeah. <laughs> But Fountain is actually kind of a shit region in that it's so filled with riches, right? They're, it's tucked away in this little corner, and it's got, like, the best NPCs to shoot. It's got amazing true sec for off-response. You've even got um, uh, Serpentis missions where you can farm uh, implants, like faction implants. Uh, you can – it's pretty much everything. And it's even got moons. It's got everything you could want. Uh, from an industry standpoint and riches standpoint, but you can't really use it as a base to attack people. The fact that the initiative were able to use wormholes uh, and kind of escape the region is a testament to their like creativity and their ability to uh, to adapt. But it is definitely like a shit region if you want to fight. Uh, also, like when you're being invaded in that region, you have to be like you get tucked into this corner. Um, and so it's, it's pretty damaging if you're not friends with the people that live in Delve, right, which the initiative happened to be, right? So if the initiative weren't friends with the with the goons or any of the Imperium, they'd be screwed right now, absolutely screwed. Uh, but because of that, they, they're able to, like, use that as a buffer to escape. So they've sort of minimized the, the problems of Fountain while trying to maximize the, the money you can get out of it. But... I think in like a year from now, if we're to, to fast forward the clock and the war is over, I don't know who wins. I don't know who loses, but I don't think the initiative would even want to be in fountain again. Like the, like retaking a fountain. I don't think they'd even want to want that. Yeah. As, uh, as one of the leaders of Leech that owned fountain for a while, you have a lot of experience with this region. Yeah. I've, I've killed more people in fountain and I've lived in fountain longer than probably most people. <laughs> Uh, in the game really deserved to be. Before I was in PL, I was in the group that lived in Fountain. Uh, and then we got kind of evicted by Evo, who then died because they were living in Fountain. They like <laughs> they were getting so full of these riches, but they couldn't project, right? So all their PvPers got bored, or all their FCs went other ways. Yeah. Well, quick bone to pick, since you brought up Brisk. Uh, one is, he said on the meta show, I just saw it for the first time in a while, uh, and I said that I had told him that Matani was using him and that he used to be a good news guy and now he was on MetaShow. Not true. One, I never said Matani was using him. I said, be prepared to do all the engineering on the show, which is true. And two, I never said you were, uh, he was a good news guy because I didn't think of him as a news guy. So false on both fronts. I just had to get that to be clear because I felt like you're going to have a lot of people watching you. You should tell them. Tell accurate, accurate truths. Uh, I, I okay. talked to uh, Brisk 
for about 20 minutes right before we came on the show about uh, the <laughs> – so yesterday on the Meta Show, he was like, oh, you know, all of these timers – uh, it looks like trolling. There's no way that, you know, people are going to be able to take these uh, iHubs. And then, you know, of course, this morning, it's almost to spite br <laughs> brisk. They took, you know, 26 of them. So uh, they, they've been passing that clip around. And uh, brisk, he loves it, though. He's cracking up. And I, sure. I told brisk that he should uh, every show, no matter how many iHubs, they should just, he should always just say, hey, they took one iHub. And it was a renter, and they were behind on the rent. So thank you. <laughs> Just say that every time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he's uh, he's very much become like the locker room uh, material for the uh, legacy and fan fam side. But he gets to sit back and say, "Hey, I was I was sleeping in this morning and enjoying my Sunday while while I made you guys form to take these querious <laughs> iHubs that we don't really care about, and we're just going to take back." So I think that's the, the the role he gets to play. But it is funny going on RE and just seeing Brisk ball every other pose. Uh, I, I don't go there that often. I'm sure he does love it. The, the question is, for me, I've heard this a few times because people who don't understand the game are looking at this war. And some people who are not even interested in it, participating in it. But they do want to ask, they want to answer the, have the question answered, who's winning? Is there anything to point to that has any indication of that? The momentum appears to be going more in uh, Pappy's favor, right? So the Imperium haven't suffered a huge battle loss or a huge loss of territory that's pretty much important to them. Uh, but what has slowed down is kind of like the momentum that they were building. For the first two weeks, and I kind of made a, a note to think about that, there are a lot of like FCs, there are a lot of groups that were returning to the Imperium that had left. Um, and that's not something that we had seen in the first World War B, right? Like very much Goon, the Imperium was isolated back then. And no one was returning to like, you didn't have big names coming back uh, and saying, oh, we want to join with the Goons. You, don't, you didn't have like the Grath Telkins and the Lazarus Tellravens coming out of retirement to be like, oh, let's, let's play for the Imperium. That didn't happen in the First World War B. And this one, that did very much happen. They weren't uh, diplomatically, like, screwing the pooch, so to speak. Like, they had a lot of friends coming from a lot of strange corners of the world, and it seemed to be going okay for them. Uh, that has slowed down, which isn't a bad thing, right? It just, just means they've gotten all that they can in, in terms of reinforcements. It's probably inevitable to slow down. That kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Uh, so now that that was the thing that in my mind was kind of turning in their favor, at least in terms of morale, right? Because getting Laz or Graf on your fleet, giving that one extra person, completely meaningless. Uh, no offense to those guys. Like one body, completely meaningless in the scope of things. But what it symbolized and like kind of what it represented is, hey, we're not the, the big bad here, or we are the big bad, but we're not the ones that are making mistakes. Uh, so people still believe in, in what we're... Uh, what we exist for. So it's an endorsement from... Yeah, very much. It very much is. Um, so, so that has slowed down. They've started to lose the Imperium, that is, have lost uh, just chunks of Fountain right now. Um, if you look at Dalan, like a third of the region is being uh, contested right now. Crucially, it's a third of the region that initiative, initiative said that they didn't care to defend. Uh, so that's probably also why that area is being attacked because, you know, the, the pan fam side, they want to snowball a little bit. 
Uh, queries is kind of a new front, as Ron was mentioning, um, but it's really what's quick to point out. They are pretty sure that they're, they're going to lose all the gains they lost in queries. They just want to get rid of those iHubs to disrupt the, uh, the infrastructure there. Kind of to force goons back into this, or the Imperium, rather, back into this corner. Uh, but on the other front, um, like goons have not seeded anything. They've lost a few, like, caps here and there, but the, it's been a complete stalemate. No one has really broken any of the lines that they've set that they wanted to. One little break, uh, but they recovered that eventually. But it's a heck of a wall that Test is ramming themselves against, Ron. Um, it is, it is. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I call it like the meat grinder. And it's it's fun. Um, I mean, from the outside if, or if you look at the kill boards or whatever. But for us, you know, it's fun because it is, you know, this kind of immovable object. And we get to try new comps and we get to throw, you know, FCs into there and, you know, fighting capitals without capitals and uh, kind of seeing where you can wiggle. And it's it's been a lot of fun and great engagements because I think the one thing that uh, people miss is the scale of these things. Um, I was talking to Mr. Hyde the other day. One of those engagements on the south in TCAG was 700 versus 1,000. And that was just a medium skirmish. And the, the scale is just massive on some of these fights. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're, skir- or they're, they're fighting at TCAG. There's 2,000 people in local. <laughs> it is massive. <laughs> the problem is that what we call massive today is really not necessarily as massive as you say, because, uh, again, this is segueing a little bit back to the MER topic these numbers are not showing up the way they historically have done, right? Usually when you had wars like this, you would have a massive impact on the destruction numbers, except we're not seeing that. The only win condition I have seen right now from the non-goon centric is really the fact that they managed to cut the crabbing of uh, all production to a quarter. That's a potentially big win, but the destruction and the massive fights, they're not, being transferred onto actual economic numbers. They are they are minor. They are almost, in my opinion, economically insignificant. And I think uh, what Baleful said earlier with uh, everyone having enough money is basically proving that we still have a problem. We're not, we're not going to get the benefits from this war. Well, maybe we will a year from now, as Elise mentioned. Then you might actually see who won and who lost. But right now, I see this as mostly insignificant. I'd like to, to take a moment to look at the destruction real quick, though, because that is something I've been tracking uh, to Ron's point of the scale of this war. Because when you went, if you try to look at individual battles over in just individual strategic objectives, and it's going to be very hard to like count them up and decide, okay, this person's winning, that person's winning. And then, of course, what trumps all is morale. Whoever can convince their people to get their butts in fleet and lose some spaceships or kill some spaceships is going to win in the end of the day. And there's really no way for us to track that in terms of data. But what we can look at is like in space assets that I can track at least, and then ships that are dying and things like that. First, I want to set the stage on the the point of scale because it is absolutely incredible just how big this war is if you start looking at what are all the regions impact. So I went and built a campaign in fleetcom.space just to start tracking all of the losses that occur in this thing. And 
just the direct like front lines of this war plus their adjacent regions in order to travel to them. There's 18 regions. Like the, the surrounding Losec, it's literally the bottom half, the bottom quarter of the entire map of New Eden as at war right now. This is, this is a massive scale thing. And then if we go into the number of players involved, all of Legacy Coalition plus all of Pandafam Coalition, I'm probably missing a few here and there, but you're looking at almost 130,000 players on one side compared to the Imperium who are sitting at a 52,000 at the moment. So this is probably, if you round up, including the third parties, about 200,000 players at active war right now as we are talking, which is pretty incredible. Going from there, I just want to point out one thing about that I've noticed just looking through the entire war. Odds are consistently number one and number two spot in terms of ISK lost. So Nullsec pilots, please don't undock in your snakes. Your jackdaw does not need a full set of, what are the new thingies called? Somebody help me out. Nirvanas? Nirvanas. Your jackdaw does not need a full <laughs> Nirvana clone. Like, I feel like if, if people stopped losing pods, a good third of all the ISK loss in this war would go away. Um, and then if we look at ISK loss by, like, overall, like, trending over time, is a very interesting graph, and I compared it to SOV loss. And what I found is there's no correlation between the, the amount of ISK lost in ships and the, like, SOV that is getting lost in that particular day. It has absolutely no trend whatsoever. So these big fights, these big battle reports you see posted already, like, oh, we won that one, guys doesn't translate into soft it might translate into morale it depends on what each individual person values but we can see that consistently over time the imperium is losing significantly more than legacy but their economic war chest is also significantly larger than legacy and panda fam we've seen that in the past and i don't think that's changed in the last couple of months so you've got to bear that one in mind as well the, the last thing I want to continue on in my ramble here, as I went through fleetcom.space and pulled up all of the SOV losses, because they have a timer board history, and graphed them out over time. And one thing that was interesting to note is at the very start of this war, there was a massive SOV push by the Imperium into legacy space. I think it was like Esoteria. Possibly it was, it's not Peregrine Soul, yes. is it? Esoteria, right on. But not a single one of those timers were lost. In fact, for the first three or four days of this war, not a single soft timer died. It wasn't until the 8th that we started losing some. And as we look at the amount of soft timers that lost, I think Brisk's comment about most of this stuff as spam is completely true. Because we're seeing even on the best day, which today was the best day so far in this war in terms of soft killing, only 7% of timers generated converted to a structure loss. And that's even with the best possible day so far in this war. Normally, it's sitting at around 4%. So, yes, the majority, the vast majority of soft timers generated in this war are totally spam. And then again, looking at um, what are people caring about in terms of soft structures to kill, which is a point the least made earlier. More iHubs are dying because those are more important. And so that's also what we're seeing in the data. Specifically, we see the massive bump in queries that happen today. So that's my little spiel, nerding out over some graphs that I put together. I think that's super interesting. I would really like to see how many unique characters are in these battles. You know, how many people were involved? Because that, like, that's just, there's so much involvement. There's so many new people. There's so many people getting in these fleets that I've never seen before. I think it's just wonderful, right? By the way, it's uh, it's great to see some statistics put to the overall narratives. You know, it really is meat on the bones, so... 
we can definitely see the propaganda wars going, but it's nice to see visually what the numbers look like and what they correlate with. Oh, one more thing I forgot to mention. Sorry. I noticed while looking at the graphs, if you if you compare ships loss to ISK loss, consistently legacy is actually losing more ships per day. Or Panda Fan plus Legacy, I don't know. Have you guys Pappy? Pappy is the name. Pappy is losing more ships on a regular basis, but they're still losing less ISK. And yet if we look at ISK loss by ship group, it's consistently the Imperium flying Jackdaws, and then Legacy Pappy flying Munins. So I have no idea where the extra ISK per ship that Imperium is losing is coming from. And if anyone knows... It could be pods, yes. Pods. But... You were mentioning a lot of pods. Like that's the only thing I can think of because jackdaws aren't as expensive as munins. Like, all right, well, there we go. Ties, right? Seventeen hundred jackdaws. It's <laughs> a lot of jackdaws. <laughs> there is probably a little bit of a spike in in capital ships. The Imperium we were using that to uh, entosis, so they lost. A handful of those, and they also lost, I think, thirty or fifty carriers in in one fight, which over the scope of things, pretty insignificant. But Artemis, did you correct for price changes? Uh, no, I have done zero corrections. Oh, then, then you are also going to be sensitive to any price changes based on how uh, the average price of a ship and a hull is calculated from CCP side. Yep. In terms of uh, morale, though, I think both sides are, are doing fine right now. Uh, the one way that we kind of measure that. Um, it's, it's a lot of guesswork, actually. It's being able just to see who shows up to fleets, right? So it, it's kind of like using your spy network to, to see how the other guys are, are feeling uh, and what their mood is. And from what I'm seeing, which isn't like, I'm just using my own spies. I'm not using like some sort of massive network of them. Everyone seems fine, right? Everyone's are like, hey, well, let these guys do whatever they want. Uh, they're kind of rallying behind their, their banners, so to speak. It's so... The, uh, the legacy guys are kind of, they're happy at how things are going. The goons are happy at how things are going. Like, uh, initiatives, happy with, with the position they're at. They're kind of like, like oh, look at these guys making all these timers, uh, getting all riled up over what Briscoe Ball says every, every five words. They, they stalk him in, in, uh, in other games that he's playing even. So uh, like they can get to go rah, rah, rah about that. And, uh, you know, the Panda Fam side is pretty happy. Uh, as far as I can see, everyone's like everyone's currently winning, which is a testament to the leadership in both of these groups. I guess all of these groups, these uh, alliance leaders have been here for some time. They know how to manage expectations. They know how to manage uh, their people uh, to keep them going and to keep them upbeat. And so, so far, that, that's completely working uh, on both sides. I talked to uh, people from both sides of the war and. I, I agree with what Elise says, basically. I don't think anybody's particularly discouraged yet. It's still early. And like um, Artemis was saying, it's, it's actually not not like a lot has happened. What, like 7% of the timers converted to a structure loss? So I think like a lot of like, oh, so-and-so is winning, so-and-so is losing, is it's kind of still in the propaganda stages. And there's going to be like a lot of war ahead of us. But what I have seen people who have been affected are people outside of the war who like can't find Republic plate depleted uranium anymore in markets. Like, cause the Eden common defense guys use a lot of uh, artillery ships to counter offensive logic that the Triglavians use and depleted uranium is one of the main ammo types. And you can't find it like anywhere anymore. 
Yeah, I uh, I accidentally created a little cartel of, of people building mutants. I noticed obviously the mutant prices go like fluctuate like crazy as people try to manipulate the market. Yeah. Oh god, um, prices have been awful. Yeah, so I was working with like a few like a few random people I found in Losec who were they wanted to get involved in the war, but they didn't. They're just like thirty dudes who live in domain. They, they don't really know what to do. So I'm like, here, go 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 to solitude. Go get all these uh, initiative moons. I'll pass you some timers so we know for sure that they're not going to get you. And they're they're happy. And they said, okay, as a result, like let's get together and start building these things. And I was looking at the Gita market, and we were controlling like all of the the public neodymium. Like was coming out of like two or three people that were manipulating the market. And so neodymium is, is like one of the base materials. I'm sure Caleb can expand on this. One of the base materials that makes an intermediate material that goes together to make another intermediate material that goes on to make immunin. Uh, so stuff like that. It's really fun to see like industrialists picking sides and uh, kind of having, having a go at it. like when you call it manipulation because I see more actual just response and reaction to reality than actual manipulation. Well, I mean, there are some days where you, there's like a week where you'll see all of the neodymium is just gone and then relisted. People definitely do the punching of holes, but it's usually punching holes in the market based on strategic knowledge. The fact that they know that the actual uh, volume is currently not enough to support what is going to be required in the future. Right. So, so yes, there is what you call manipulation going on. People will, will punch holes in the things that are most difficult to, to source and basically the most potentially scarce product. Uh, and, and that will be reflected first. But I usually see a resupply coming in fairly quick. And I usually see the, the value uh, trickling onto the other things uh, fairly quickly too. So, so it's not what you would call an effective manipulation. It's more like a, very fast opportunity uh, opportunity uh, abuse. I, I think that word manipulation is you're being hyper specific with it, which makes sense as somebody who's a market watcher. Uh, we think of it as somebody. Very few people are controlling the price. That's manipulation, but it could be a strategic thing that you're doing, or it could be an actual manipulation, which is where you. Yeah, that's when you're trying you're, to specifically corner a market and and take out some. And keep it uh, in extremely low supply, yeah. right? That, that's when you are abusing or trying to dominate a market. But that's really not what we're talking about here. What we're seeing is almost panic-like responses from the, the actual market uh, uh, people and the market players. Of course, you, if you if you were going to see an actual attempt of someone going in there and well doing what would be uh, abusive, it, it's something that, that I know that at least. Uh, knows to, uh, all about of how it was done strategically. It's very much going to be doctrine-based, where people just deplete things completely from the market and try to remove it con- constantly because they know that the industrialists can't keep up. So removing specific holes or specific uh, fit requirements and stuff like that. That's something that I would expect to see coming in soonish, uh, but maybe not as much as in the past because we have this massive self-sufficiency and local production issue going on and even these days yeah it's uh these groups i'm looking at the or i was looking at some of the stockpiles that they have in preparation for this we're talking thousands of ship holes i know i'm sure the imperium's got like 
thousands of sacrileges. I know PL itself has like 2,300 Munin halls just chilling uh, that we actually have to start breathing down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a comment in chat. I like Munin's earth toilet roll at the start of COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of my, the whole, like my, uh, my favorite part of this is that I think there's more ISK damage being done by like neutral industrials, third parties that are like building these things and relisting them and stuff like that than is actually be, being done by the, the fighting itself. So it's, it's always neat for me to see. Oh, that's interesting. Kill so, mail on people's wallet, right? What's that, Bale? Kill mail on people's wallets, right? In Jita. Well, basically back to what Bale was talking about. I don't know if it was on the show or before we actually uh, started with the changes coming to was the command ships. That's one of the places where you might see a complete shift and and abuse being done on markets because if that completely shifts uh, doctrines and it becomes very popular, that's basically something that people would try to control and uh, manipulate to make a lot of profit. Yeah, the EOS suddenly becomes the end all be all like command ship for uh, like or just a doctrine that's very very powerful. There's going to be none on the market ever, right? Because we're talking about there are no stockpiles that exist because no one wants an EOS. Yeah, it's just a hunk of garbage. They're very unpopular for a long time, but they're about to get cleaned up by CCP. Does this make them popular? Does this make them rare? Because nobody made stockpiles of them. Interesting. I'm also I'm also waiting for the CCP to come out and say, "Hey, you know the meaning." It's a little bit too strong still. Let's nerf it a little bit and just see what happens. Wow, an industrialist with stock is going to cry if that happens. Yeah. I have a feeling that, so maybe three or four years ago, they wouldn't have made that decision. They wouldn't have said, hey, or they would have been afraid to say, hey, I'm a, I don't want to change the ship that thousands and thousands of people are using right now in the midst of a war. I don't want to push the balance of power in the war. But it seems to me now, I think they'd be like, it. What's the worst that could happen? Build five vagabonds instead, whatever. At least you must be able to actually remember the massive uh, burnout that uh, industrialists had when they changed the battleship to almost like five times the mineral requirements. Yeah. Their mother was just building them, and it took like three years to get through their actual stockpiles. That's how much uh, overproduction the industrialists responded with that panic thing. You know, uh, Billy said something in chat that, uh, you know, is kind of interesting. So one thing about, you know, if you're not involved in the war, right, but you are, you know, a budding industrialist or, you know, a, a like a high sick guy or something that has, you know, LP or whatever from doing incursions or whatever, uh, you could, you know, get into the business of making ammo and things like that and using your LP and some of the prices of that might go up because, you know, like Billy's like asking for a million units of domination ammo, like the, the supplies are needed. Right. And you don't necessarily need to go through the markets and you could, you know, hit up Imperium or hit up, uh, you know, the blue donut or whatever and make some uh, wheeling and dealing. So it's, it's interesting that all the different levels of economy, you know, cause I'm always thinking like, what is someone who spends three or four hours a week playing involved, right? Maybe they're just doing industry. They have a stockpile and they want to get rid of it for a good price or something. Then that's something. I'm and, and it proved, uh, one of the issues with the EVE economy that we had so much blue donutting and so much uh, overproduction, because historically it's always the things that run out of mar on, on the markets first, right? It's basically, there used to be this rule of thumb that, that when a big, 
uh, war or skirmish happen, you should look at things like Mexilon, uh, ammo, and uh, uh, low-tier uh, fit stuff, right? Because that's usually what people don't have, have stockpiled. So when you start having destruction of an international depletion, that's what's going to spike in price first. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, I, I remember that most of my industrialist friends always used to shift hard into uh, things like ammo production, as you mentioned, when big wars were starting to happen, because it's, it's usually what uh, ran out. I was going to say, I'm looking at all the incursion runners who have like stored up millions of Concord LP. You know, you can cash that into an Empire Faction LP at a pretty decent rate and make some good ass. Yeah, 80%. Whoa. All right, let's uh, move on here. So winners, that was uh, talking about who's winning and all the win conditions and how they're very... Uh, nebulous. All we could say is there seems to be momentum happening, especially in Fountain. I think it's pretty sure, pretty pretty clear to see that there's momentum happening in Fountain for Pappy as a, as an invading force. Um, a couple of other things that happened that are just notable. Uh, one is there was a corp of uh, there was a corp that flipped from Goon Swarm uh, and handed the opportunity to I think it was Villy or Legacy to drop Citadels. Can you guys talk about that? So I think it was Pittsburgh's old alt corp that was in the Imperium, or he, he gained access to it in some way. Um, and he, it was the corp itself was still in Goon Swarm or what's the still in Condia. I keep forgetting if it's Goon Swarm or Goon Swarm Federation, Goon Swarm Federation. Right? It's Federation GSF. Yeah. So uh, that corp was still in uh, GSF. And they use that as a means to anchor some citadels in KVN. The, the importance of that is, if you do not own the Sov, when you go to anchor a citadel in, in someone's space, you have to anchor a large citadel, and the timer goes from, two, from one day to uh, five days or something ridiculous like that. So using this little, using this kind of uh, corp that I guess the Imperium kind of forgot about, um, they were able to, the PanFam side was able to drop like 15 small citadels in KVN uh, with just the, the quick one-day timers. So that's kind of deep in the fountain if you look at where it is geographically. Uh, and we skipped a, a few steps as to how the invading force is going to go through. So that was a pretty significant thing. There was a pretty long, drawn-out fight over those systems as they all online. Um, not much died really in that fight, all things considered, but the Citadels all came up online. So one rogue corp out of, uh, get this, there are 522 corporations in Goonswarm. So it's probably hard to find that needle in a haystack. Were there any repercussions to that happening? So the, the Imperium side kind of took it as a, a win as well, even though they had these, uh, Citadels popping up in, in systems that they def definitely didn't want. And in fact, it's on grid with their Keepstar, which is how you, like, from a military standpoint, that's how you go to try and assault a Keepstar. The first step is to put another Citadel on grid with it. So that might be a little bit doom and gloomy. But the Imperium said, hey, you know, we got this. We, we found this out and stopped it before they were able to drop a Fortizar, and that Fortizar then went to online with a five-day timer instead of a uh, one-day timer. All right. Uh, so that was a little interesting move that, uh, at first we heard that kind of hurt a lot, and then uh, the public face of it was it didn't hurt very much. 
Uh, so I don't know where, where it ended up, but um, it can't be helpful, right? These are, I think, Ron, didn't you say that some of those things that were dropped uh, were in uh, an important system in the south of Fountain? Yeah, they dropped, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, structures around. I, the one thing that was super interesting to me was that the the big one that kind of sparked, you know, a really nice battle was KVN, right, which is at the southern end of that, uh, you know, the fountain Amtrak. And that kind of jumped, it leaped over, you know, several pieces. It's kind of in the, the bottom of fountain. And you wouldn't expect a big fight there. You would expect it to kind of start from the north and kind of, you know, mow down. But because of that structure, um, you know, PanFam escalated and that fight just erupted, you know, around that kind of onlining. And then because of that, then they also reinforced, I think it was a Tartara there, the Zong Grid with the Keepstar. So yeah. they kind of went around a little bit, um, you know, and that kind of surprised me you know, that it jumped down so quickly. Uh, it was super interesting. It was a great fight. Um, it's still there. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's going to be uh, pivotal in, you know, uh, as they fight for KVN. So one of the things that kind of forget about talking about Fountain is the geography of the area is uh, very, very weird. And so there's like, if, you were to stage in Y-2, which is where the initiative and Imperium are staging, you're very limited to where you can um, use tie-in bridges and jump bridges to get to, right? There, there are certain areas of the map that are off-limits to you, but in a different part of the console is a different constellation. So in KDN, you can then hit a lot of important areas of Fountain. So that's strategically very important for the Imperium side, to maintain a foothold in there so that they can kind of take those four gates from white ash to, to get to KVN and then they can project all over to the region. If that's denied to them, then the areas that they're able to project to are few and far between. They would essentially have to sneak themselves. They would have to bridge into NPC fountain and then go from like a pass over there uh, to project to the rest of fountain. So KVN very strategically significant uh, if a big battle fights uh, goes down over there, over like a keep star there or something, uh, that's going to be huge, huge, huge. And uh, so, uh, one of those systems that the initiative and Imperium are not going to want to give away. All right. So another thing that happened was um, a Leviathan was stolen from test. That was Israd, which is former PL corporation uh, now joined goon swarm for this war. And they stole uh, a Leviathan. It looks like. Yeah, the Israel uh, is. I think that was that kind of was the culmination of you know all these groups that were kind of joining the uh, Imperium side that were historically not against them. Israel initially um, was the black ops sig of Goonfleet. Uh, after Cartoon happened and all that alliance, uh, those that group said, "You know what? We don't like goons anymore. We're moving to the other side." They ended up joining PL, uh, and they lived there happily for eight to ten years or so. Then they kind of moved around, went to Volta, blah, blah, blah. And it ended up back in, in Goons, which is like one of, the, one of the 180s that you would have not expected. It's definitely like a 2020 maneuver. Yeah. So <laughs> 2020 maneuver. A lot, they, sorry. Go ahead. Like a lot of the interesting parts of the war as an outsider looking in has been like the, like the sneaky crap people have done, like, like the 
Israel stealing the Titan. Then, of course, we haven't got to it yet. But the ammo that was stolen, and then the 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 corp in goons like betraying and putting the citadels down. Like, honestly, I haven't seen like any like mind shattering battles, but like all this like underhanded stuff is kind of like been the most interesting as an outside outsider looking in. You're right. We- it's just that everybody's going to try to one-up each other and like what sneaky shit they can do, right? You're absolutely right. The, the group uh, Israel was in Goon Swarm. You, you said they were originally there, but how long ago are you talking? Uh, this was back when Goon Swarm Federation was a good, it was just Goon Swarm. Uh, so cartoon. 2007, 2008? I think even before that. 2006, yeah. Long time ago. Yeah, just uh, and a lot of the people that are in Israel were in Israel then too, right? So it's it's not like uh, just a random corp that just got really from outsiders. Like I understand how like the ammo was stolen because of an accessless problem, but how did Israel steal the Titan? You say it was sitting on an unanchored pause. Yeah, and then I heard that uh, the pause had ran out of fuel or something. I don't. I, I don't know. I guess it could happen. I don't know. There's a lot of things that have to happen right for that to work out. I suspect what happens is there was just this Titan that was sitting into there and they, someone used to spy, ripped out the fuel and took it, uh, which might be giving them too much credit. It could just be that they randomly happened upon a Leviathan sitting in space. But That seems pretty. I suspect that someone ripped out the fuel when they scouted it using a spy and that, or a high place spy, mid-level spy, if you want to call it that. Uh, and then just took the uh, the levy and moonwalked out. Yeah. All right. The other thing that we want to get to, and I love this title for it, it's called uh, Grand Theft Ammo. <laughs> Somebody on Reddit said that. It's the first comment. I, I love it. Uh, Grand Theft Ammo. A- anyone know what happened there? That's all ACL trickery again, right? So they, they had a strong group. Mm-hmm, Good. No, I was just saying strong magic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they had um they had a group that was in Imperium that had gunners rights right so they didn't have director level access to the structures but they had gunner rights so they could you know replace the ammo they had access to the ammo uh, of the structures and what they did is they they went through a, what was it like 89 or some crazy number of structures and just removed all the bombs and then asset safety the bombs or something. Yeah, asset safety the bombs to low sec. How much and is it, that going to cost to get it out of asset safety? They have to spend said it was like seventy two billion to get it out of asset safety. Oof. So uh, allegedly they took the ammo from seven hundred and ninety six <laughs> Athenors. <laughs> How many people do you have doing that? They get this that number of arms. Two and they're very tired. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was two people. No, I, I don't want to uh, I think so. It didn't, it's not like it happened yesterday or the day before. It didn't happen in a single day. It had been ongoing for like three weeks. Uh, it was since this group had left, they had never been cleared from the ACL access list. And so every day they'd go and just take like a dozen or two dozen or even 60. Uh, just just strip Athenors of stuff and then go on to the next one. And so over the course of a month, this built up into like basically half a trillion isk worth of bombs and shit that were just taken. Yikes, that's a big play. 
I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like, once again, I still think both sides are going to be fine on ISK, but it's, yeah. it's just like funny. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I love that title. I think we'll just call the show that. Well, we spent a little time on it, but it's such a great title for that thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's it for the war as far as like all these underhanded, neat little things that Baleful was talking about that are happening. That is happening. At the same time, it is a very low intensity war. I was talking to another, I won't name him, um, coalition leader and uh, was saying like, my guys are kind of relaxed. They're not really working very hard um, in this war so far. He was saying the rhetoric doesn't match the activity as far as fights. Now, that doesn't mean it, the activity's not there. People are forming up. There's a lot of fights. I think Billy said there were hundreds of fights already that were not taken because people don't take fights. They're obviously going to lose. I've seen some battle reports that were just like, there was kind of ships on the field and like one side lost a sacrilege and like the other side lands their own Sino and that was the whole fight. There has been, so I will say uh, from the fountain side, every day this week I've been involved in a fleet that had some sort of fighting involved. And it wasn't just like one guy dying, but people are very, very cautious to be that first group that makes that big first whelp, right? No one wants to make the first big mistake uh, I know in the early days, the initiative were dropping supers and titans on gates just to, to showboat and to build morale and to dissuade the enemies. Yeah, and to be intimidating. Uh, they caught 550, by caught, I mean they spotted, 550 Pappy Dreads sitting in a midpoint, ready to drop on a flight. Um, and ever since that, they have not dropped a super because I don't care if you have 500 titans when 500 dreads drop on you, you're going to lose some dreads and you, or you're going to lose some titans and you do not want to be the side that loses 30 dread or 30 titans early on. It doesn't matter how many dreads you get in return in the return kills. If you lose 30 titans first step, it's gone. Like you're, you're done for two weeks in terms of morale. Yeah. I, I, that's funny. Cause I think when we've seen, fights erupt out of not much and we've seen important iHubs kind of go unchallenged but one of the fights that happened in Altec A a few weeks ago now a week and a half ago was um, about 40 or 50 carriers from the initiative were trapped and that was enough to get them you know, a chunk of them 40 I think killed and that seemed to be a psychological shift in the in the in the war like something happened there yeah, that's when the initiative sort of changed their, their tune from every system matters to, eh, we only want these areas. We're not going to burn ourselves out uh, trying to defend every single system because in reality, like, we don't care about these entry systems. Like, wh what do they need to do to get to Iridia? There's nothing in Iridia that the initiative needs, right? So there's, there's nothing in Outer and Cloud Ring that they desperately want to hold on to. Uh, and be able to access. Now, all the important stuff is, is very uh, close to the chest. So instead of wasting that energy on systems they don't care about, they're going, they instead decided to, and quite smartly, uh, focus their energies on systems that they do care much more about, like KVN. They don't want KVN to fall at all. That would be a huge blow if they lost that, that uh, gateway into the rest of them. That's what Ron calls an Am Amtrak station. Yep. <laughs> just, just to add to Elisa's point, I think everyone should, you know, have the expectations that 
the leaders on all sides of this and Imperium and in it and PanFam and legacy, these guys are very, very intelligent on the, the strategy and the tactics, you know, of the game. And they are very cautious, you know, all of the, you know, sort of YOLOing, you know, on a, an Alliance level, you know, those guys are gone <laughs> or they've been swallowed up by another group or they don't have any super left or you know something like that the mistakes would be on a personal level you know someone you know like i jump instead of bridge or something on a very macro level the, the guys at the top you know on all sides very strategic you know very thoughtful you know they have they everyone has you know groups of people that they ping ideas off of to get before they move so you know, I haven't seen any really big, you know, strategic mishaps yet. And I, I don't expect to, to see any for a while, at least until the stress builds up to this level where you have to make uh, a little bit quicker decisions. I think one of the, the funny things to think about is like when you're looking at uh, some of the FCs and leaders deciding on where to stage and how to do these types of invasions. Uh, this isn't the first time that PL, NC and Co have invaded Fountain. This isn't the first time that uh, Billy has tried to attack or has had the chance to take Delve, right? He's taken Delve before. He knows the playbook because he wrote the book because he's the guy that did it before. <laughs> like, these guys know how not to screw up over things. Yeah. I've been evicted from Fountain before if you want that book. <laughs> I was in some of those campaigns to kick goons out of Fountain. It was, uh, well, actually, it was Fatal Ascension at the time. And those things just fizzled, like so un, unmotivated to work uh, at those times. So things can go very wrong. And so far, both these sides have a lot of power in their engine uh, there and, and, and a ways to go. One of the things that we should be prepared for is this is going to be a long war. That's one of the things that Billy's talked about. And he proved it with Ron. Last year, they did a, a war that lasted eight months, I think, uh, between fraternity and uh, our winter coalition and legacy coalition. They are now allies by the way, but uh, they fought a war that lasted like eight months. It's a long, it's a long, slow process, but it's great. Cause it, I think there's a lot of interesting activity on the battlefield. Definitely a lot of activity that's interesting in the subterfuge area. Uh, you can see a lot of uh, propaganda and psychological warfare on, you know, all over the place. So uh, it's interesting. This is Eve at a very interesting time. Plus you have an entire whole nother section of the game that's much bigger than this war, frankly, that's totally into other stuff. And I include uh, Edencom and Triglavian War at that. You see Providence falling apart. Uh, there's a lot going on in this game right now. It's an exciting time to be uh, looking at Eve Online and playing it. All right. Let's uh, go to a kill mail that came out. Um, what did they kill a Hydra? Yeah, Hydra. So on paper, that's like 150 billion, but not on paper. That thing is worth a lot more, right? Oh, definitely. The Z kill value is never accurate for like the unique ships. Yeah, we were trying to figure out like what that could mean, and it was like could yeah, be. Some would be able to guess, but I would say probably 600 bill. I mean, yeah. is that what you think at least? Uh, I mean, I when it comes to the AT ship prices, no one no one knows anymore. Yeah. It's just. The, the markets are so, like, pulled thin. Like, you, some of these things you can't even buy if you wanted to. Like, if you wanted to buy an Atana right now, you could have 500 billion discs, and there's just no one selling them. 
But at the same time, no one really knows like what their future is going to hold and so on. We just know that these are unique ships that are never going to be replaced. And there is only 50 of them to start with. And I think this is the fifth or sixth one that's died. Uh, so it's not like you can just invent another one. Right. Uh, they, they're just gone. <laughs> they're, they're gone from the server. Well, uh, Cable, who's somebody who deals with expensive ships, uh, says probably $175 billion for the hull and about uh, $50 to $80 billion in mods. Um, but we don't know. It depends on what people were willing to pay for it. But the point is, this Hydrakill, super expensive. Super expensive for a small ship. Yeah, you're talking about a frigate. Uh, there's another ship that's actually, I think, the most popular in terms of the frigates, which is called the Imp, which is the Alliance 111 uh, prize. Yeah, the Imp <laughs> and the Fiend. So the, the Imp is just like a succubus, which is already really, really good, but like three times as, as strong. So I it's just like... I saw an Imp too. I was on stream and I was soloing in a Crucifier Navy and I was in Amamaki and I got tackled by a stiletto and I'm trying to slingshot it. And then on D-Scan, I see an Imp and I'm like, what the is an Imp? And then I'm just dead. <laughs> Don't mess with those Imps. Yeah, and it, you know how it died, right, is it was doing... Um, you know, what Baleful was just talking about, which is there's a bait ship, you know, like a Merlin bait ship, and you go to kill the Merlin in faction warfare, and the Merlin just tackles you, and then the AT ship comes in and kills it. It's, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's not the weakest uh, gameplay, but it's uh, it's down there. <laughs> and so that's how those ships get lost as well. The Hydra came into a bait trap, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, usually traps for them. People hunt them. Like when uh, Von Hole killed uh, the uh, imp of Ultram, uh, Ultram, with, yeah. with the new increase of the fire as the, as the bait. Right. Okay. Well, thank you guys. A, a couple other announcements here. Eve Echoes, there's a start date. It's coming out August 13th. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, you can register right now. I think if you go to Evecos, you can register to be like on the list of the people who get in first. Or I don't know what it is. I signed up. That's all I know. CIS actually has a stream running right now, right? Probably. We're very resourceful. Oh, uh, yes. Who is a fish? Who is a fish is, is actually streaming uh, a panel thing about uh, Evecos right now. It's just, I thought she should have a shout out. Absolutely. Yeah, that's where I was going to next. If you want to know more about Evecos right now on talking and actually youtube.com slash talking in stations, all one word, you can see our live show for Evecos. We ran over, that's why we're uh, overlapping here, but that starts usually on Sunday at 11 o'clock. Um, but uh, if you don't want to go and see that, uh, we're going to raid back to Ron. You can continue the day watching Ron's stream, uh, Eve Online, and what's going on there. Um, all right, guys, I want to say thank you so much uh, to you guys, uh, Artemis, for jumping in and engineering the show, uh, Elise, Caleb, and our, our new host, uh, Bale. We're super happy to have her here. And Ron, who actually took off to prepare his stream that, so that we could raid. I want to thank all you guys for showing up today. And also, uh, you and the audience, thanks for hanging out with us. A little point of privilege here, a real-life um, tragedy Famous actress Olivia de Havilland has passed away. She's 104 years old. She was in a lot of classic movies, like uh, *Gone with the Wind*. But I knew her as uh, Maid Mary in *Robin Hood*. Uh, we're talking the 1938 version, <laughs> like a long time ago. 
as long as she was alive, there was an umbrella over my head uh, between me and death. And um, now she is gone. So I'm sorry. Sorry to, to see her go. Lasted a long time. Um, all right. So that's it today. Uh, oh, one more thing. If you can support us on patreon.com slash Matterall and, uh, and help us out as we try to reconfigure our technology and move forward. Again, super happy to have Bail. I want to remind you that she's now part of the team. She's one of our permanent hosts. And uh, Artemis has always been here and will we'll stick around as well. So great team. I love, I love this. Uh, I, I wish I could like watch the show instead of uh, participating in it sometimes. Uh, you guys, the fans, are the lucky ones. Uh, it's going to be good. Lisa and I have a history. <laughs> All right. I think you've killed each other. Like, well, at least how many tournament ships do you have? I mean, I don't have as many as I could. Yeah, uh, because not a silver magnet, right? Yeah. Because I have that. During the, uh, <laughs> during the Amar tournament, my team lost horribly to the Bill Holtz's No Means team. With the ECM retributions, it was such yeah. bullshit. I actually like relive nightmares of that. So like it just some some uh, Eve things fights that you have are so visceral that you just remember forever. So BTAC, I, I could forget everything about it. I, I don't remember pretty much anything that was going on that day. It was completely uneventful. Me losing the Amar Championship, I remember every single little bit about it. Uh, so. I did you to just walk over us, and you didn't. Because they underestimated the role players. Yeah, the role <laughs> players who hadn't played EU in like four years. Uh, oh. That's good. So for those that aren't following, Baleful took out Elise in the, uh, was the Proving Tournament or it something? It was the CMR Tournament. They were four versus fours. Um, oh, okay. And it was for the preliminaries for the Serum team. And I was on Team Matar and Well. And our match was all, all Retributions, four versus four. And the, it was the winner got into the um, the actual tournament. I love this. We don't really have like anti Elise or like an answer to Elise, but now we do with the failure. <laughs> yeah, you see, we, we didn't even fit prop mods, so we couldn't fly out of the arena. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. We will see you next week or during the week uh, on Talking In Stations. Take care.